Hello, thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. For network or show information, visit byteradio.me or call 843-808-0777. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest is Dave Nassani, also known as Caregiver Dave. He is the author of the book, It's My Life Too, Thrive and Stay Alive as a Caregiver. Many caregivers know they, they are burned out, but they don't know what to do about it or where to find help. Dave Nassani, author of the book, It's My Life, is known as in the caregiver circles as Caregiver Dave, the caregiver's caregiver. <laughs> uh, and he can help caregivers avoid burnout and survive the grief process. While some books, while some books focus on surviving long-term caregiving, what sets Dave's book apart is that It's My Life Too, demonstrates the life of the caregiver is of equal importance and that caregiving can be a rewarding and gratifying experience. Dave shares real life practical advice to help caregivers see logically and emotionally that if they don't put their needs above their loved ones, they both will suffer. Dave Nassani is Nassani is a speaker, syndicated radio host, life coach, and best-selling author. However, his most important role is the caregiver to his lovely wife, Charlene, who suffered a massive stroke in 1996 that left her severely speech-impaired and paralyzed on the right side. For more information, you can visit his website, which is caregiverdave.com. So with that, I'd like to welcome Dave to the show. Good day, Dave. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Yes, I can. It's it's great. I'm I'm really happy to have you with me today. Well, thank you. Uh, you didn't leave uh, me anything else to say. You said it all. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, somehow I doubt that's not the case. <laughs> so, but but anyway, so that was yeah, that was a little bit. But but anyway, so um, I'm first of all, I'm re- I really love talking about caregiving. Um, last really? year I did a book. I did a book of um, stories of caregivers. Uh, it's called The Heart and Soul of Caring. And mm. ever since then, I have just been um, so focused on, um, you know, trying to, uh, to share information. So um, anyway, so I, and I know that you have got a lot to share, so I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, sharing is caring. That's what they say. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So um, now I, I briefly mentioned in the introduction a kind of uh, what happened in, in 1996, but in which probably got the, the start of the caregiving. But can you just for the uh, t- audience, tell them a little bit about, you know, when that happened, you know, kind of what was going on during that particular time? Well, you know, I'm just a normal guy. I owned a gas station for 40 years, still do. And about 23 years ago, first of all, we've been married. Uh, my, I met my wife 45 years ago. And we had a fairy tale, storybook, romance, courtship, and, and marriage. 
And we were getting ready to enter into the empty nest phase of life, you know, where the kids are old. We got them out of the house. We we got them all married off. We had three daughters, uh, each one twice. <laughs> and uh, right about the time we're supposed to be traveling and enjoying life, and uh, my wife complains about this headache she had. You know, she called it the headache of her life. Mm-hmm. This was back in the in uh, in the nineties when Doctor Kevorkian was still in the news. You know, the youth. Oh yeah. Doctor, <laughs> mm-hmm. He wanted me to call him and put her out of her misery. <laughs> the pain was so bad. Oh no! Oh no! But uh, uh, on the fourth day, she uh, uh, still had the headache and Mm. uh, was going to go see a doctor. But unfortunately, uh, we had to call an ambulance instead. And by the time the ambulance arrived, she had suffered a massive stroke that left her severely speech impaired, paralyzed on one side. And in that moment, our world just turned upside down. Nothing would ever be the same again. In fact, it reminded me of... Four celebrities in particular, uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Hillary Clinton, Queen Latifah, and Henry Winkler, the Fonzie, all caregivers. I now had something in common with them. Uh, wow. the, next two, the next two years was like a living hell for both of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charlene became angry and bitter. And, uh, you know, we almost broke up. It, it was so bad. I finally had to sit down and, and write her a letter because I, I had to, you know, just get it off my chest. And so I wrote, Charlene. You're so mean to me. Um, it's so hard being your husband, trying to take care of you 24-7 uh, and not feeling any uh, love or appreciation in return. I know it's hard on you, but you're making it harder on me to care for you. I just don't think I can be with you anymore. I mean, I'll take care of you financially, but I just can't be with you. You know, and I couldn't believe, as I was looking at that letter after I wrote it and I read it over and over again, I couldn't believe that that uh, this was... Uh, how I how I could say these things to the woman I love, to my soulmate, to the mother of my children, and you know, I just couldn't give it to her. I just put it in my filing cabinet, filed it away, and went on in my grief because we were both grieving, my loneliness and my isolation. And and uh, uh, one day I I found a business card in my pocket. I don't know who gave it to me, how it got there. Maybe when I was uh, living in the hospital for six weeks with her. Uh, It was inviting me to a caregiver support group. And I didn't even know what a caregiver was, let alone a support group, but I figured, what the heck, maybe somebody gave this to me because they thought I needed to go, so I went. And everything changed for me. I met there people who were just like me, burned-out caregivers. And I learned a lot of stuff, like uh, the airlines tell us. Every time I go on a plane, they say, you know, in the event of an emergency, Oxygen mask will fall. Put your mask on first before you help your loved one with their mask. Oh, my gosh, who actually does that when the plane's going down and your four-year-old's screaming? You know, are you really going to put <laughs> your mask on first? No. You know, you're going to put the other one's mask on first. But I learned if I didn't do that, I couldn't uh, be a good caregiver to my wife. So I decided I was just going to, you know, be selfish like that. that it was okay for a caregiver to be selfish in order to survive. And so I just started taking care of me first so I could take care of her. And slowly but surely, she started coming around. She stopped, Maybe it's contagious, you know. She started mm-hmm. becoming her old self again, and our love was rekindled. And, and after a while, I started realizing that there are so many other caregivers going through what I went through. And, you know, I didn't want them to give up like I almost gave up. I didn't want them to hurt anymore. 
And so I became Dave the Caregiver's Caregiver. And I now host a popular syndicated radio show heard in all 50 states and 135 countries. I'm a best-selling author, writing my fourth book now. I've appeared on 33 TV shows and counting. And I've spoken at Harvard and NASDAQ and Carnegie Hall and West Point, all these places, sharing the stage with Suzanne Summers and Martha Stewart, Ice-T, Caitlyn Jenner, uh, just a bunch of people sharing my message to caregivers how to prevent your loved one's illness or disease from actually killing you. And that's my yeah. story, and uh, that's kind of where we're at now. Wow. Yeah, you know, and, and what's, you know, one of the things to point out is that uh, the the individuals who are celebrity that you run across, it just goes to make the point that, you know, caregiving touches everyone's life, no matter yeah. who you are, you know, wherever you are, it, it touches everyone's life. I like to say, if you're not a caregiver, just wait. <laughs> you're either going to become one or you're going to need one if you're not yeah. already one, you know, because yeah. caregiving is is uh, is an, something that will come. It's inevitable. And so now is the time to learn how to be a caregiver before tragedy strikes. That's why I wrote my book. It's My Life Too Thrives to Stay Alive as a Caregiver because yeah. uh, I can't help everybody. There's about a third of caregivers out there. You know, I have a Facebook page with 65,000 followers, and about a third of them, uh, I just don't think I'll ever be able to help them. And yet 30% will die, and it's probably those 30%, uh, percent, right. that third, that I won't be able to help. And it's because of their attitude. They just believe that their life is not as important as the one they're caring for. So they will give and give and give, give the shirt off their back, give their last breath to help this person sacrifice their life for theirs, uh, a, a slow suicide, you might say, and they mm -hmm. think they're doing something noble. Well, it's noble if a mother throws her body in front of a moving car to save her child. That's noble. But to do this drip, 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 slow suicide, thinking that you're, uh, uh, you know, doing something great by sacrificing your life, not eating right, not sleeping right, not taking care of yourself, isolating yourself from all your friends, uh, causing yourself to be fired or having to quit your job, and, and thinking that that's going to help your loved one, it's like the mask. You're both going down. Now what's going to happen to your life, loved one? You know, your siblings who probably don't uh, have the empathy that you have, stick her in a nursing home, you know, stick yeah. grandma in a nursing home. Because, uh, you know, that's, uh, they're not, they don't care as much as you do. There's always one person in the family who becomes a caregiver, and that's the one who cares the most, who's the most empathetic, the most sympathetic, mm -hmm. and the one who, uh, you know, nobody, well, I can't do it. You know, I live in New York. Well, well I can't do it. You know, I've got a job. And, and so right. everyone points their finger at you, and you're the right. lucky one. Do they come around and help? No. Do they send you money? No. <laughs> You're lucky if they right. call once a month, you know. Yeah. Well, that's you know that that's the the one thing that is you know really important with the information in your book is like you say if if you're you're not a caregiver or you're you don't you know don't need one that there are a lot of people out there um, caregivers who need help you know who would welcome help you know and so you know reading about 
um, you know, the the challenges of being the caregiver um, for those who aren't can, can be useful as well um, in being able to, to educate. Yeah, and any help would be greatly appreciated. Yeah. You know, if, if you know a caregiver, and everybody knows a caregiver, just like everybody knows mm-hmm. someone who has cancer, you know, you go into the supermarket, call them up and say, hey, I'm going to be at the stores or anything that you need. God, that is huge. Or, you know, you're saying, yeah. hey, uh, I've got an hour free. I can come by and, and watch your loved one, uh, give you a chance to maybe go to Starbucks or get a massage or get your nails done or, or mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Or just to lock yourself in the bathroom. <laughs> you know? Right, um, yeah. That is huge also. So don't underestimate the power that you have to help a caregiver's life to really, really improve, you know? Exactly. So now you mentioned um, grief, you know, and, you know, when we talk often about the grief process, a lot of times we we do it with regard to death of someone. Um, Now, can you explain the um, grief process in the caregiving environment? Sure. Sure. You know, grief doesn't only involve death, losing somebody. Anytime you suffer a loss, you're going to grieve. You know, your girlfriend just dumps you. <laughs> you're going to grieve. And there's five stages stages of grief. The first stage is denial. So in the girlfriend example, you say, oh, my God, I can't believe she dumped me. Oh, my God, oh, my God. You know, and you're just freaking out. Uh, and you have to get over the denial. Otherwise, you'll become delusional because, you know, you've got to accept reality. Your friends will say, hey, she dumped you. You know, she's not coming back, you know. And so the next stage is um, uh, bargaining. So, well, how can I get her back? You know, maybe – so, you know, you try to negotiate uh, the the loss. You say, well, well, maybe we can be friends, you know, or whatever. Now, many things you can't negotiate. You can't negotiate cancer, typically. You can't negotiate death. Uh, and a lot of times – you start negotiating with God, right? Because he has the all-powerful. He can heal uh, miraculously from sickness or cancer. He can change the heart of your girlfriend, etc. But uh, after we get through that stage of um, denial and bargaining, and we realize that maybe nothing's changing, then the next stage we go to is depression. <clears throat> we start getting depressed. And that's the most serious one because, you know, we've seen stars like Robin Williams and Kate Spade and Kurt Cobain all succumb to depression and uh, they t- they took their lives. Mm-hmm. And uh, anytime uh, someone is feeling depressed or even down or even sad, you know, there is a difference between being sad and being clinically depressed. And that's why you need to see your doctor if you're not you know, getting up in the morning, you're you're just staying in bed all day, or you're 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 wearing the same clothes every day. You're not bathing. You're you're not eating. You're or the opposite. You're eating too much, or you know, uh, you can't sleep at all. Then it's time to uh, maybe look at some antidepressants. You know, and say, oh well, I tried antidepressants. They didn't work for me. They made me feel drugged up. Well, they're not supposed to make you feel drugged up. They're not recreational drugs. They're not supposed to numb your pain. They're just supposed to re- replace a, a, a chemical imbalance in your brain and make you normal again. So maybe you just were on the wrong dosage or the wrong manufacturer, the wrong type. So go back and try it again. It could take three to six months to find the right one, but it's worth it when you finally get it 
and then you you know you feel good again. Mm-hmm. The next stage after depression, if you get through that without killing yourselves, <laughs> is um, is what is the next one? I, I totally forgot. Uh, there's one more that I forgot, but the the stage that we're all trying to reach is that coveted stage of acceptance. It's accepting the new normal. It's embracing the new normal and saying, you know what? Uh, I'm okay that uh, that I have cancer. That you know I'm going to make my amends with God, and and I'm going to I'm going to spend what time I have left on this earth, with, you know, just really nurturing the relationships with the people I love. You know, just just embracing it and and accepting it. You know, not becoming delusional about it. So those are basically your five uh, steps. Let me see if I left one out. There's there was anger. denial. Anger, anger, that was the one. When you, <laughs> that comes. That actually comes before denial. Thank you. So yeah, after you realize that nothing's working, you get really pissed off and you get angry at everybody. You get angry at the person who who you know uh, caused the loss. You get angry at the doctors. You get angry at yourself. It's my fault. You get angry at God. You know, and then and then you go into depression. So thank you for correcting me. Oh, that's fine. No, yeah, because I I remember um, just uh, you know the, the that is one of those things that just kind of pops up real quick and and that you know that's a a really tough one in the in the caregiver realm you know because it's it's like both people are angry and and both tend to lash out you know so it's yeah. it's just a. It, it's just a very hard because it's just not one person who's angry, you know, and it's it's like both people are grieving at the same time. Yeah, yeah, and it's okay to be angry because you know maybe you have something to be angry. I mean, even Jesus was angry when he went into the temple and saw all these money changers, you know, just defiling his temple, and he threw the tables over, you know. But that was a righteous indignation. Your anger cannot uh, hurt people, and it cannot. Um, you know, be toxic to yourself because even unforgiving uh, feelings, you know, not forgiving someone who hurt you, you know, you think you're getting back at that person who hurt you, but really it's a cancer in your bones, you know. It's like drinking poison, hoping the other person dies. So you want to make sure that your anger is uh, exhibited in, in healthful ways. I mean, if you own a drum set, then bang on the drums, you know. if you Don't, don't put your fist through a wall or anything like that, but you know, get some pillows and, and, and start beating, beating something, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, maybe if the object of your anger, uh, you could tell, listen, I'm very angry at you right now. I'm going to beat you up with this <laughs> fluffy down pillow. Uh, so I know it won't hurt you, but it'll make me feel better. You know, do whatever silly thing right. you have to do to get rid of the anger. Count to ten. Go walk around the block, you know. Pray, meditate, do whatever you need to do. But, you know, be angry, but sin not, I think the Bible says. So it gives us permission to be angry, you know, but not to sin. Yeah, I agree. So now what would do you think are some of the biggest mistakes that caregivers make um, <laughs> that that put them at risk? Well, I can think of, uh, three right off the bat. So the first one, the first biggest mistake that caregivers make, and I talked about this a little bit, it's, you know, they don't put their needs first. And that's why the airlines tell us, you know, put your oxygen mask on first before you help your loved one. Well, 
like I said, even I don't know if I could do that if my four-year-old was screaming and the plane was going down and everyone was panicking. And I'm the caregiver's caregiver, so it's got to be hard <laughs> for all the rest of the people you know, to, to put their needs first. It took me a while to learn how to do it. And so uh, you just have to remember the uh, oxygen mask analogy. I mean, I'm on a plane a lot, so I hear this and I tune them out because, my gosh, mm-hmm. I preach mm-hmm. it. You know, I don't need to listen to them again. <laughs> Uh, I really appreciate when they get uh, when they do it very creatively. I think American Airlines yeah. has this awesome video that they play <laughs> that's just really really cool. And then uh, I heard this uh, flight attendant do a very creative uh, talk. It was just him, and I I think he's the only one who does it. And he was having a good time doing it. And everyone was laughing and enjoying it, but he was getting them to listen, you know, and not to just to tune out. But um, So that's the first one. The second biggest mistake caregivers make is they don't know how to ask for help. Now, caregivers just either they don't know how to ask for help or they don't want to be indebted to anybody or they it's a pride thing. They say, I could do it, you know, like our two-year-olds. I, I could do it myself. I could do it myself, you know, because they, mm-hmm. uh, they think they can do it all, and then you let them do it themselves, and then, you know, they get it all over themselves. Now you've got to clean them up. And so, uh, like I said, I'm the caregiver's caregiver, and even I can't even do this because I was using a skill saw. Because I'm an auto mechanic. I know how to use a skill saw. I was cutting this piece of long molding because I was fixing something. And I know better. I should have had somebody hold the other end of a long piece of molding so that it doesn't wobble and, and the saw get away from me. And and I don't know. Maybe I just didn't want to bother anybody. I was around other people. It was at my gas station. And uh, it got away from me. It cut my thumb down to the bone, severed the nerve and the the uh, ligament, and it was mm. a mess. It took a plastic surgeon to sew me all back together again. But uh, you've got to put your uh, put your priorities in order and ask for help. Uh, it you cannot do it by yourself. So quit thinking you can. The third biggest mistake caregivers make is it's the guilt. They allow people to just guilt them into believing that they're not doing enough and or if they're doing enough they're not doing it good enough and and you know there are certain mothers uh who are very good at dispensing guilt <laughs> especially <laughs> ones from the middle east i'm, I'm syrian so i'm middle eastern jewish or, or arabic uh we greek we know how to guilt uh, our kids you know what uh, you th- you thought you'd come by? I haven't heard from you in three weeks. I could be dead. You know, lay it on the kitchen floor in my own urine. You know, uh, just lay it on thick. You know, dramatic. Uh-huh. <laughs> caregivers cannot afford to allow other people who are not invested, and even if they are invested, to to criticize you or to make you feel guilty. Even the one you're caring for can make you feel guilty. You know. Because they they say, well, you're not you're not uh, cooking the food as good as your brother, you know, and, and you know just mm-hmm. stupid stuff like that. You say, hey, here's the food. Do you like it, or I'll go get you a, a Big Mac from McDonald's, you know. But uh, just let that guilt roll off. And I think of immediately that show about a caregiver caring for his elderly father back in the 70s. It was called Sanford and Son. You remember? Oh yes, Sanford. I do. The junkyard. Sanford. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. He used to guilt his son Lamont into doing all sorts of cockamamie <laughs> harebrained schemes uh-huh. that was not in his son's best interest. He went something like this: Oh, 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 this is a big one. No, son, really, it's a big one. Elizabeth, I'm coming to meet you, honey. It's a big one. He's killing me. You know, and Lamont. Yeah, was wasn't it Elizabeth? Wasn't it like Elizabeth, I'm coming Elizabeth, to see Elizabeth? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, he would yeah. fall for that con every single time, and caregivers are right. the same way, you know. Yeah. Stop feeling guilty, and I like to use an analogy of a dirty diaper. You know, guilt is like that the poop in a diaper. You know, a diaper <laughs> okay. is made for a certain purpose, and and when you 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 when you use it, you're supposed to change it, throw it away, get rid of it. Well, a lot of people keep that diaper on, you know, for weeks, months, years, a lifetime. And I like to say there's two kinds of guilt. There's deserved guilt and undeserved guilt. And if you deserve the guilt, then take it. Take it. Okay, apologize. Hey, I make amends. I'm sorry I did that. I won't do it again. You know, or, or you know, turn yourself into the police or, or make uh, amends, pay restitution, whatever you have to do to make it right, make it right. And then throw that diaper away. Throw that guilt away. Otherwise, you know, it'll cook you. It'll cook your little bottom like a diaper does, dirty diaper. If the guilt is not deserved, well, just throw it away because there's nobody to apologize to, no amends to make, no restitution, no nobody to turn yourself into the police because you are innocent. You didn't do what you're being accused of, so just get rid of it. And that's the hardest one when people are trying to make you feel guilty and you don't deserve it. So Yeah, you know. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, that's, um, you know, as far as those, um, you know, those three, you know, tips, uh, you know, as far as putting needs first, you know, there was one um, person who was a show listener of mine who um, wrote her story about caregiving for her husband and they were living in Honduras. And in her story, she wrote that, you know, one of her biggest fears was, you know, if I don't take care of you know, um, Orin, which was Orin, then who is, you know, and, and she, right. she, she was, she was pretty, uh, you know, doing a pretty good job recognizing the need for self-care. Um, yeah. but anyway, between the time she wrote that story and the time I published it, she passed and Orin lived and it was, uh, you know, um, statistic 30% die before their loved ones do. Yeah. And, and it's, um, you know, and to me, it, it just, you know, just reinforces just how important it is, you know, to do that, to, to get that self-care. Um, now, guilt. Um, other Next to guilt, um, one, one of the time, uh, one other kind of feeling that comes into play sometimes is, uh, is resentment. Um, and, you know, sometimes is caregivers, um, you know, we would think that, you know, I have to put my life on hold because of, you know, having right. to provide care. So um, can you talk a little bit about um, maybe how, you know, resentment comes into play and maybe how can one, if one is experiencing that now, how can they shift away from yeah. that, minimize? Yeah. The reason why someone is feeling resentful and bitter is because, believe it or not, it's their own fault because they don't have <laughs> healthy boundaries in their life, right? If somebody offends you and you don't say anything, and they offend you again and you don't say anything, and they offend you again, pretty soon you're going to start resenting this person. And and you're thinking that they should know that they're doing something wrong, but they're clueless 
because they don't know what your boundaries are. You know, they keep, uh, let's say you have a, a pain like right in your stomach, and they keep pushing on your stomach on that pain point, and you're saying, don't they know that I just had surgery? Don't they know that they're making me hurt? With No, they don't know. Tell them. So you've got to, there's a book out called Boundaries. And basically, if somebody offends you, it is your responsibility to say, hey, excuse me, I know you're probably not aware of this, but what you just did, that's very, uh, I mean, that really hurt me. Um, so in the future, <laughs> you know, if you want me to continue being your caregiver, uh, that's not going to happen anymore. And if it does happen anymore, um, here's what's going to happen. You give the consequences, right? There always has to be consequences for bad behavior. Most right. of the time, people reward people for bad behavior, and so they keep doing it over and over again. And mm -hmm. so you want to have uh, healthy boundaries. Let them know that what they're doing is wrong. Say, uh, you know, I forgive you this time because, you know, this is a freebie. You didn't know, but now <laughs> right. you know. Yeah. You know, uh, my, my, I, my nap time is from 12 noon to 1 p.m., so I will not be uh, hearing your little bell that you ring that you want me to make you lunch or you, you need to do this or you need water. Unless it's a dire emergency, 12 to 1 is my nap time. Please respect that boundary. And they're going to test it just like a little kid does. That little bell is going to ring and you can go and say, yes, oh, you know, I, I forgot to get a glass of water. I says, well, uh, Remember I says from 12 to 1 is my nap time. If I don't get a nap, I can't take care of you. So uh, I'll give you the water this time. But if it happens again, I'm not answering that bell. And, of course, it will happen again. And you have mm -hmm. to not answer the bell, you know, unless it's an emergency, of course. You know, right. Giving an, ex yeah. an extreme example. But there has to be consequences. Uh, otherwise, you will be abused, used and abused by your loved one. And by others, this is just for caregivers. Mm -hmm. Everything I tell caregivers is the same thing I tell other people. I counsel and I coach other people who are not caregivers. And it's the same thing. You know, you, when you become a caregiver, you just inherit all of the baggage that you had before you were a caregiver. It just becomes magnifying now. You know, if you're too sensitive and you're easily offended, you're going to continue to be too sensitive and easily offended and so on. If you have a short temper, you know, short fuse, that's, that's going to happen as well. So caregiving is not for the faint at heart. No, no, it isn't, and and it does it does bring it does highlight you know a, a lot of um, uh, challenges that that are things that we you know are are kind of met here to to learn you know and um, it's kind of like just a, a good setup for us to learn a lot more. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it can be a challenge. So. Um, so now, uh, sometimes you, you mentioned one time about getting help, you know, that people like number two was people don't know how to ask for help. So and, and you mentioned in your example um, uh, of not wanting to bother people when, you know, when it came to um, your, your um, activity at the gas station. So uh, can you and, and some people, I think, are. Uh, I'm I'm one of those. I'm one of those. I would be like you. <laughs> if I got done it myself, you know, um, or done everything possible. I mean, it, only to the very last minute did I really, 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 really need help. Would I, you know, maybe you know, cross that line? Yeah. So or get up to that point. So how uh, for people like me, 
um, or, or you who find it difficult sometimes to ask for help, um, how, what, how can we begin to shift that to recognize? I mean, is it because we, we feel that um, we should be able to do it ourselves? Well, there's, there's other reasons as well. Yes, first one could be pride. I'm going to do this mm-hmm. myself. You know, I'm I'm the caregiving expert. I mean, I am successful in every other area of my life. By golly, I'm going to be successful as a caregiver. And you know, mm-hmm. it's not that easy. You don't know what you get. You don't know what you don't know. And the other possible reason is that you know you don't want to feel indebted to person people. If they help you, well, now you owe them. And my gosh, you know, the last thing you want is to owe somebody something, you know. Uh, maybe there's other reasons, too, that you just you just feel like uh, you don't want people to know that you need help. You don't want people to know right. that you haven't got it all together, that, that you're about to have a nervous breakdown. Because, uh, you know, you don't want people feeling sorry for you or talking about you behind your back or, you know, whispering or whatever. So it could be any one of those reasons or more. But um, uh, I was going to say I forgot what I was going to say actually. Um, yeah, well, you know, it's, I, you know, I, I'm again, I, I'm one of those who do, doesn't easily ask for help. But you know, it's one of those things where um, I, I also have to remember too that sometimes people like to help. <laughs> you know that you know. I mean, there, there, granted, there will be a lot of those who have excuses. You know. You yeah, know, why yeah. they and can't you have to know, help. You have to know how to ask for help because there's a wrong way to ask for help and there's a right way to ask for help. You know, there's always people that come by, hey, you know, I'm here. If you need me, just uh, call me. And right. they never call uh, because, you know, for those very same reasons. But uh, you have to make a list. Maybe you can't think of anything you need right at the moment, you know, mm-hmm. because you're on the spot. But as soon as they leave, you can think of 10 things that you need. Oh, I should have asked them. So make a list in advance because, and keep it with you because people are always going to come up. Hey, if there's anything I can do, you know, give me a call. And what you have to do is say, okay, yeah, thanks, I will. Don't say that. Say, well, as a matter of fact, are you free tomorrow? Because if you're going to be at the store, I could use some lettuce and cold cuts and I'll repay you. Or, you know, yeah, you know, I've been I've been trying to get away to get back to the gym. You know, I, I keep looking at my gut. Uh, if you can if you can spare an hour one day this week, then then that would help out. Be bold to ask these people, because a lot of people will not ask, will not help you because they don't know what to do. They feel right. a little uncomfortable. They feel a little awkward. They feel a little strange because. Well, well, I don't know anything about caregiving. I, I, what what could I possibly do to help you? You know, you're the expert. But if you just make it easy for them to say, hey, it's real easy. You just come in and you just uh, talk to them. Be, you know, be company to them, just like they were normal, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, in my wife's case, you know, she can't speak. She has this aphasia, which makes her severely speech impaired. She can answer yes and no questions. And a lot of people are are, uh, you know, a little uncomfortable with having a conversation with someone who can't talk, but it's fun. It's like playing charades or Pictionary. You know? <laughs> 20 questions. Uh, yeah. Two games uh-huh. I hate, by the way, but other people <laughs> love the game. And I, and right. I, I just uh-huh. I just love it when when someone comes in and, and she's trying to say something and 
and they'll go, oh, well, well, wait, I can get this. Yeah, I'm good. I, I'm good at charades. You know, and they're really into it. And, and whereas I, you know, it's like, oh, God, i got to do this again. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so there yeah. are many, many, many ways that that uh, that you can ask for help. But you've got to, if you want to ask for help, you got to ask for help. You can't just right. uh, want help or think about asking for help or saying I should have asked for that. You know, I also came up with a uh, CARE acronym, a, a formula to uh, to give people a solution to all their problems. And it's, it spells out CARE, C-A-R-E. So C stands for communicate with your friends. Don't isolate yourself, you know. And um, caregivers like to isolate themselves and, and just, uh, you know, friends stop coming by, stop calling because – because all you do when they call is complain that so and so did this and and you you wouldn't believe the mess that I had to clean up today and all they want to talk about is their caregiving nightmares to their friends. Well, who wants that? You know, who wants mm-hmm. to be around Debbie Downer? So they just <laughs> yeah. stop coming by, they stop calling, and next thing you know, you're isolated. All your friends have left you. So my advice is be <laughs> be good to your friends. You know, don't talk about caregiving. Save that for the support group. That's another thing I need to talk about is that you should be in a support group with like-minded people like I was so that you can have someone to complain at because they're going to complain to you too. And then you're going to say, oh, man, they're just like me. They're going through the same thing I'm And you feel normal that what I'm going through is normal. So, But you don't want to do that to your friends. You want to call mm-hmm. them up and say, "Hey, you know, I'm sorry that I haven't been uh, around lately, but I want to I, I want to get back to the gym. You know, I want to do our lunch thing that we normally uh, used to do, and and you know, let's go to a movie every now and then, and and just don't isolate yourself. So that's C. A is ask for help. We talked about that, and be specific. Don't just you know turn it down when it's offered. So many people, can you believe this? So many people turn down help. So many caregivers. When somebody offers help, you say, no, 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 I got it, I got it, you know. Don't turn down help. Always accept help. Always have that list with you so that you're ready to uh, say, oh, hey, can you do this? No, 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 I can't do that. No, I'm busy. Oh, well, I got, you know, something. Can you do that? Oh, no, I can't. You know, go down the list until they say yes. (laughs) Make them embarrassed if you have to. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I better better answer because he's got 27 things on that list. I better agree to something because they're getting harder and harder. (laughs) Well, you know, and Uh, I like that idea because, you know, because a lot of times when you're in the care, you're in that mode, a lot of times you forget what it is. Oh, yeah, I need, like you said, after someone leaves, you have it. Yeah, so that's that's such a good idea. And then R stands for rest. Caregivers need eight hours sleep every single night, but the average caregiver only gets about two or three. Hey, I can't survive on two or three hours uh, a night. Can you? I can barely survive on seven or eight. So you need to get your sleep. And if you're not getting your sleep, then then find out what's causing you to not get sleep. Uh, one caregiver told me, well, they you know they have to be turned every night, uh, every couple mm. of hours, and I have to get up and I can't get back to sleep. Or they they always get hungry in the middle of the night, or they always get thirsty. Well, that's easy to fix. You say, here's a glass of water. Here's another glass of water. Here's another glass of water. Of course. Uh, this that's a bad example because the water will make them pee at night. But if they're in a diaper, <laughs> right. I guess that's okay. But, right. um, you just you just want to yeah. uh, uh, first of all, if they're if you.
you have to get up every two hours because they need turning because of bed sores, stuff like that, then right. you have a bigger problem than that. Yeah, that problem, right. you, yeah. they need 24-hour care. And it's right. time to start thinking about a facility. Okay, nobody wants mm-hmm. to think about a facility because maybe they made you promise, I'll never put you in a nursing home or whatever. But, right. you know, you can't just uh, get two hours sleep every night. Right. So you've got right. to consider that this may be the time to make the transition from their home to maybe a facility because you're going to kill yourself. And that's probably why a third of caregivers die, because they're trying to provide 24-hour care. And it's impossible to provide 24-hour care. Only a facility can do that. And if you can't afford it, then get them, you know, approved for Medi-Cal or Medicare or Medicaid or whatever, or VA will pay for assisted living if if the spouse is a is a caregiver uh, I'm sorry if the spouse is a veteran or your loved one is a veteran I meant the spouse of the of the loved one right there mm-hmm. are so many things social security county local um, you have to do your homework there's a great book called um, uh, it's by Camille Superson uh, super son s o n and it's called uh, caregiving resource guide and it's got all sorts of free money, free food, free aid that, for caregivers that I highly recommend. It's on Amazon, or you can go to CamilleSuperson.com and get it that way. Uh, e stands for eat. Eat healthy, nutritious food. Don't eat junk food. Junk food's got sugar, chemicals, processed ingredients. All that stuff will kill you and make you fat and make you ill. <laughs> and so you want to be on a good diet, and you want to exercise. You want to go to that gym. You want to ride the bike. You want to swim. Well, I don't have time to do that. Well, that's where asking for help comes in. You want to get a big whiteboard and start scheduling out people. Okay, so-and-so is coming in from 1 to 2. So-and-so is coming in from 4 to 6. So-and-so is coming in on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday so that you have a life again, you know? Right. Only you are to blame. If you want to be the victim and blame uh, life for for you know the job mentality then go ahead but you're you're not going to make it you're going to die before your loved one so uh choose life <laughs> and be yeah. organized yeah exactly and and so now one of the things that um you know you mentioned kind of early on when you were you talked about writing that letter to your wife that you you know didn't give to her yeah. and 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 it's you indicated something about um getting no appreciation in return. And yeah. when when it comes to Don't well, you know, any, I mean by the way. <laughs> Yeah, I was just gonna say, I mean, you know, first of all, I mean it's always good, you know, to be appreciated, you know, for for one's ever especially if it's something, you know, that kind of goes beyond, you know, what your normal, you know, everyday life would be. Now Some people with, are used to appreciation. And if that's you, this isn't the job for you. But go on, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no, that's okay. No, I, I, I understand that. And, and now when it comes to well, the reason I was, kind of, I was kind of leading up to the fact that on your website, you have a blog. And one of your recent blog posts was uh, the topic of being, you know, caregiver tips for dementia patients. And, right. um, you know, so can you maybe just talk a little bit because when you're dealing with someone with dementia, you know, getting <laughs> appreciation in return is going to be like never, you know. So um, can you talk a little bit about the uniqueness of being a caregiver for someone with with Alzheimer's or dementia? 
Now, my wife had a stroke. She lost her speech. And I used to think that that was the worst thing that could happen to somebody, to be robbed of the very thing that separates us from the animals and not be able to do what I'm doing with you right now, communicate, right, right. on a, on a mm-hmm. very uh, high level. But I changed my mind when my mother got dementia and then my mother-in-law got dementia. That mm-hmm. is much, much worse than what my wife had. Because my wife can at least communicate, right? Mm-hmm. 85% of communication is nonverbal. So, I mean, she mm-hmm. doesn't need words. She does fine just playing Pictionary, charades, you know, facial expressions, right. touching, mm-hmm. et cetera. She's got it down because she can still communicate 85% of the time. But when you have dementia, oh, my God. <laughs> now, yeah. my my mother, God rest her soul, she died at 94 about three years ago. Um there are things that you have to reprogram your brain for because, first of all, they don't know what they're doing, okay? They're going to offend you. They're going to, uh, you know, say things that they don't mean. They're going to maybe not even know who the heck you are. Uh, they're going to accuse you of not uh, giving them food when they just ate, uh, you know, 10 minutes ago. They're going to accuse you of not visiting them at the nursing home when you were just there yesterday. So you have to just, uh, you know, get rid of the sensitivity, the hypersensitivity, and realize that they will have moments, quote-unquote moments. And all you can hope for is, is to visit with them and try to get them to have a moment with you, uh, a moment of laughter, where, hey, remember when we uh, used to be, uh, you know, kids or uh, and and you used to let us uh, build tents in our bedroom with the sheets? And, and uh, a dementia patient uh, doesn't necessarily forget things. They just are going backwards in time. And they don't – it's not that they f- don't know who you are. It's just that they remember you as a nine-year-old, and now you're 52, and you don't look like <laughs> mm-hmm. you don't look like you're nine anymore. You don't sound like you're nine anymore. So it's like, well, who the hell, who the hell are you? You know. Mm-hmm. But but you can you can always meet them on the level they're at. You know, um, if they're if they're constantly asking for their husband who died 20 years ago, well, there's an indication that they're they're in that age bracket of when he was around, you know, and you can right. probably relate, say, hey, do you remember the so-and-sos? They, they used to come over for dinner every Friday night. Uh, you know, she may remember that. And then you could tell a funny story and have a moment. And and that moment may last five minutes. It may last ten seconds. But, mm-hmm. but it was a happy moment. And for that moment, you made their life much better. And even yeah. when that the thought escapes them, they're still happy. And they made, they don't even know why they're happy, but you gave them a moment. And I, I just love that movie, The Notebook, because remember there was that moment they were having when they were dancing and they were remembering. And it defied all logic because they says, oh, no, dementia or Alzheimer's is progressive. It, it you know, but, but people have proven that... Uh, that there's still something there. And, and if you're in the right place at the right time or say the right thing or feel the right uh, uh, touch or, or smell the right smell or hear the right song, something can come back. And so uh, just just lower your expectations. And, and when you visit your, 
your uh, loved one with dementia or Alzheimer's, just try to be there for them. It's all about them, mm-hmm. not you. You know, bring headphones and and 40s music and put them on and and turn the music on and watch them come to life. You know, or bring a little grandchild with them, uh, even if they're in a nursing home. And watch the whole nursing home just light up. Oh, come here, honey. You know, someone who's like mm-hmm. the lights are on and nobody's home and they never have an expression on their face. All of a sudden they see a little, you know, four-year-old. And, man, it's like somebody just plugged them in. And that's what – it's a challenge. And, and it's a yeah. fun challenge. And you want to just, uh, you know, quit acting like they are normal and quit acting like they have a memory and quit acting like they should behave differently because you're the one who's in denial about what's going on. You know what I mean? I hope yeah, that helps. Yeah. No, it does. It does very much. And, you know, uh, not having that. But I, I love the idea of just creating that moment, you know, because those are those are things that are, are going to last. And, and I've seen, um, I've been uh, around nursing homes and have seen, you know, how they light up when kids are around. I mean, and, and kids love Old folks, too, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah you and, know. I mean, and when kids are you, singing music, then you got a double whammy. <laughs> <laughs> really, exactly. So now, now my mother-in-law, um, my my mother-in-law mm-hmm. had dementia also. Uh, I'll make this mm-hmm. quick. And but sure. she was very mm-hmm. different from my mother. Everybody loved my mother. She was just a sweet little teddy bear. And she couldn't remember anything because she was like a a cross between uh, Edith Bunker on All in the Family and Rose on The Golden Girls and, and uh, Gracie Allen. Yep. Just a, a you know, just a real Sweet. fun, uh, mm-hmm. laughable person. But my mother-in-law, she was she was kind of like a witch because she thought <laughs> everybody was stealing her stuff, and no. you know they're coming in here. I don't know how they're getting in. You know, I changed the locks oh, five times and they're still getting in. And uh, you know, she's accusing me of of trying to drive her crazy so I could steal her house. And you know, it's just uh, that that was more of a challenge to not take that personally. Right, and and yeah. I'm the caregiver's caregiver again. I know that I should be uh, thinking differently, but mm-hmm. man, when she says such hurtful things to me, and yeah. all, and I remember all the wonderful things I've done for her, and even the right. wonderful things that I do for her recently, in the past and recently, and how she can say that, uh, part of you just thinks she knows what she's. She knows what she's talking about. You know, you, you want to give her yeah. some sense of sanity to give legitimacy to her criticism of you so that you can be offended. Stop. <laughs> Don't do that. Yeah. It's just harder when they're not nice than when they are sweet. It is. It is. And, and to not take it personally. Now, throughout all of this, one um, trait or one one practice that seems to be um, forever tested, and that would be patience. Uh, it seems like patience <laughs> is something that yeah. um, is just so critical. Yes, and I have the patience of Job, but not always. <laughs> <laughs> you can only go so far. <laughs> it has yeah. its limits, and there are certain things yeah. that can trigger it. Uh, and so, you know, like I said before, when you need, when you feel yourself losing control, or you can feel the veins popping out of your neck, or you feel your blood pressure rising, or you're getting angry, or you feel that that uh, in the uh, that pit in your gut. It's time to just breathe, okay? Just breathe. 
take deep breaths, get some oxygen in your brain, and walk away from the situation, walk outside, get some fresh air, walk around the block or around your your front lawn, whatever you have to do to just get some uh, new perspective. And you'll be surprised how patient you can be. And, you know, here's a funny story, but uh, remember back in the days when you were a parent having an argument with your child and the phone rings and you're, you're, you're just, you just lost it and you're in a terrible mood. And what do we do? We pick up the phone. Hello. All of a sudden, <laughs> you know, or mm-hmm. someone knocks at the door and it's the pastor's wife. Oh, hi. Well, <laughs> you know, boy, we can turn it off really fast when we want to. Can't we? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's very true. That's, that's a funny, funny thought. Uh, now, your website, caregiverdave.com, you have a community there. Can you tell us about that? Yes. Um, we decided to build a membership website because I realized a long time ago, and I've been counseling all my life, coaching all my life, and I have given tons and tons of free coaching and free counseling and free advice away. And you know what I've learned over the years? <laughs> that when people don't pay for advice, they give it a value of zero. And when they give it a value of zero, they don't, they don't do what you say, you know, they Mm -hmm. don't, they don't do the homework. They don't, uh, they don't call uh, when they're supposed to. Sometimes they don't even call on a coaching call, but uh, let's face it. If, if you bought a, a violin at the junk store and you paid, you know, uh, $5 for it, you're probably not going to treat it very nice. But if that same violin, you pay $20,000 for, you know, Stradivarius, <laughs> mm-hmm. you're going you're gonna to treat it with care, you know. And, and uh, coaching is the same way. And I noticed that people just were not utilizing the resources that I was offering them on the website. It's packed with, with tools and videos and blogs and, and uh, you know, articles and, and resources, and um, and people weren't using it. So uh, here's an example. Let's say you have a doctor appointment in the morning, and you get to bed really late, and your alarm clock rings at 7, and you realize there's no way I'm getting out of this bed because I am just exhausted. I just didn't get enough sleep. You know, I've been up all night. But then you realize <laughs> that... That doctor has a policy. They charge $85 whether you show up or not, uh, unless you can cancel 24 hours in advance. Mm-hmm. And it's not 24 hours. And again, you'd be surprised how fast you pop out of that bed because you can't afford $85. If they're going to charge you $85, I want them to see me. And it's the same way with uh, with a membership website or with coaching. So I came up with a, a number that is reasonable, that every caregiver can afford, $97, not a month, but for the rest of your life, not a year, lifetime membership, and they have 100% access to this, and they get a free one-hour coaching call with me, which is valued at $150 right there, so you just paid for the, uh, the website, lifetime membership, and you get me helping you to get you on track with a personalized coaching call or if you got off track back on track. So that's that's what we do and that's the the model we're using for our membership website. We also have a Facebook page with uh, 35,000 followers 
and everybody kind of gets involved and and you tell your your story and you'll get maybe a dozen people giving their perspective. Oh yeah, that happened with me with my mother and here's what I did and so on. It's a community. Yeah. Yeah, that, that that's wonderful, you know, and you know for for people to be able to find resources and and to connect um that's great now we're connected on facebook as, as friends so i really look forward to following following you there um so any any maybe final words to caregivers out there who may be listening so number one we're relaunching our our book uh with a new title and a new cover it's uh, you mentioned it uh, it's my life too it's available on amazon now and uh, we have a special uh, deal on a membership now for $97 membership to caregiverdave.com. I am now offering, for a very limited time, three 30-minute coaching sessions. So think about it. Uh, you're dealing with this and that. You don't know what to do. Spend $97, okay? Now you've got access to all of these resources. It's an online group you don't have to drive to the local hospital you don't have to drive to the local library and you have access to all this community and you're going to get three personalized 30-minute coaching sessions with me and believe me i will get you on track i will give you homework and i will fix what's wrong in your coaching in your uh caregiving life and that that's just i'm sorry that's just priceless you know like the like the visa commercial (laughs) <laughs> don't leave, but yeah, Americans, but don't leave home without it, you know. So, yeah, um, yeah. Well, well, thank you very much for your time today, caregiver Dave. I really appreciate it. All right, have a nice day. Bye bye. Thank you. You as well. Again, everyone. Today, my special guest has been caregiver Dave Asani. We've been talking about his work and his book. It's my life to thrive and stay alive as a caregiver. Again, you can find out more by visiting his website, which is caregiverdave.com. So everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. To follow our show, visit our homepage at byteradio.me and select the platform you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ByteRadioMe. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.